Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Don DiRamondo. She's a clinical psychologist with a private practice in Sacramento. She has over 20 years of experience working with adolescents, young adults, and adults. Her specialties include grief and loss, depression, anxiety, and ADHD. She published her first book, Surviving Sibling Loss, The Invisible Thread That Connects Us Through Life and Death in 2020. This book shares both her personal and professional experiences with grief and loss. The book also includes interviews with 14 people that lost siblings in different ways, suicide, illness, accidents, and homicide. Today, we talk about sibling loss and her clinical approach to working with grief and loss. Welcome, Dr. DiRamondo. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I am sitting here with your book that is right next to me. It's titled Surviving Sibling Loss, The Invisible Thread That Connects Us Through Life and Death. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about your book? Oh, my So let's see. In 2004, I lost my brother, Michael. He was a flight medic in the army in Iraq. At the time, I was about 28. I just got licensed as a psychologist. And unfortunately, his helicopter had been shot down and everybody on board died instantly. And this experience kind of catapulted me into the world of grief and loss. And I basically became like a researcher. I wanted to know everything maybe he went through. So I read a lot of books on near-death experiences, theories of the afterlife. I just wanted to understand what did he go through? Maybe where is he now? How do we get through this? He was the youngest of three children, the only boy. So I was the oldest, my sister's in the middle, and then my brother. And it was shattering for our family. It was just huge, right? And I ended up in my practice basically specializing in significant loss. So I work with a lot of parents who've lost kids, people who've lost partners, siblings, parents at a really young age, really life-changing loss. And biologically out of order, you know, parents and grandparents should not be losing, right, their loved ones. And it's often just so traumatic and it takes years to recover from these types of loss. But in 2019, I had a client basically mention that there wasn't a lot written on sibling loss. And when I lost my brother, I read one book. There was one book available in 2004. I assumed that over time that more had been written and was really surprised to find out that there was just a handful of books. And so I basically started writing a book. I interviewed 14 people that also lost siblings and I shared their experiences of what was helpful to them. And, and basically did it in 2020, wrote the book. And what has been the response to it? Really positive. You know, I know for me, especially when you lose someone young, so few people your age can relate. They've never gone through significant loss. They certainly haven't lost a sibling in most cases. And so what I found from the book is that people feel so validated, that they feel understood, that other people have gone through similar experiences. And even people who haven't lost siblings feel like they better understand what I went through knowing me, but also what people they know that have lost a sibling have gone through. Because, you know, in general, people don't know 
what to do with grief and loss. We don't know what to say. We don't want to upset people. The support typically ends way too soon. People don't want to bring it up. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And so I talk about in the book, you know, what is helpful to say and what is not helpful to say, right? Don't tell people they really need to move on or be grateful for what the time they had, because typically that ends up feeling upsetting to people versus I'm so sorry, what can I do to support you? What do you need? What can I do for you? Or just hugging somebody and validating the experience is typically much more helpful. So I feel like people have given me feedback and they say in some cases, I didn't realize what you went through until I read your book. So it's been really good, the feedback. So we could spend hours talking about grief and loss, right? I think for the purpose of the podcast, because it's the topic of your book, I think it's fascinating to think about the specifics of sibling loss and how that might be different than other right. types of loss. I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Absolutely. So I think what's tough, and siblings are often referred to as the forgotten mourners, the forgotten bereaved, because everybody's focus is on the parent. And even the sibling's focus is often, as mine was, is how do I help my mom and dad through this? And so a lot of times people will ask the sibling, how is your mom doing? How are your parents doing? They often don't ask how you're doing, right? So there's that layer of it. And then the other is you could go from being the oldest child now to the only child, and it really changes your family dynamics, or now you're the youngest child. And that's really difficult for people. And again, if you lose someone really young, a lot of people your age can't relate at all. And maybe you'll end up marrying someone that never even knew your sibling. And that's hard to have them never know your brother or sister. So there's all these different pieces of it, I think, that make it more complex than people even realize. Yeah. And I'm just also curious talking to this, the idea of sudden loss versus dying from a chronic illness. How do you think about that as a clinician and how might you approach? It is different. You know, I think when you lose someone to cancer or an illness, you have often a little more time to wrap your mind around it, even though it's painful, or at the very end, you might find that your your loved one is suffering so much that you you get this isn't what they want anymore, this isn't what I want for them anymore. But when you lose someone to suicide or a car accident or something very sudden, your life changes with a phone call. You've had zero time to wrap your mind around it, and so often it leaves a much more traumatic reaction and can take a lot longer and more support to get through that grieving process. It's just a little different, still painful. They're both painful in different ways, right? But when someone loses someone and they have more time, they kind of start the grieving process while the person's still alive. And I think that's what's different with it. And then also the other, I think, question that people might have is how sibling loss might be different as a child versus an adult. Right. It really is. And kids, you know, I don't work with children in my practice. They are going to play out their feelings more. And so parents might see kids playing with their stuffed animals more that one of them dies and kind of play that out, which is how children process things, or they might not want to talk about it. And even then I would encourage parents to really seek out and make sure that their kids are getting enough support nobody's putting on to the child how they should be grieving because everybody grieves differently. Whereas with adults, they're going to be using words a lot more. Although with grief and loss, I don't think there are enough words, which makes it difficult to talk about, but they're going to, if they go to therapy, obviously use more talk therapy than kids would do. 
And again, I think what's really hard with children is their friends aren't going to understand at all. So I think a lot of times they feel really alone with the loss, which makes it tough. So in your practice as a psychologist, what are the common themes that people come to you with? They're so distraught. They come in so broken. Often it's hard to work if they're back at work. Sometimes they have to take a leave of absence. They're crying a lot. They feel overwhelmed. They don't know how to live with this. They don't know how to be with this. They can't imagine ever feeling better. And so a lot of what I do is normalizing just grief symptoms that yes, this looks a lot like depression with crying, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, difficulty with sleeping, sort of just to normalize that they won't always feel the way they do now, that the shock and a lot of those symptoms do dissipate over time. And then we talk about it. How is it showing up in their life? How can I help them honor their loved one and still live with this? I've kind of come up with this metaphor that people even listening might like, because I found that clients really had a hard time with the the notion that they were getting better, right? Because in time, they really were, they were becoming more functional, but they felt like they were betraying their loved one if they admitted or said that they were getting better. And so I said, well, why don't we try this? Let's picture a car. So traditional car, front seat, passenger seat, back seat, trunk. When you first go through significant loss, or you first come into the office, grief is in the driver's seat. You're totally overwhelmed. It impacts every part of your life. Any happy, joyful part of you feels like it's in the trunk. Like you're not connected to it. You can't imagine ever feeling those things again. But really over time, what happens is grief shifts. And suddenly it sometimes go in the passenger seat and you go back to work. You're not crying as much, but it's still very heavy. And then maybe more in the back seat. And then the happier, joyful parts of you do come back out of the trunk. You get invited to functions. You, you go to graduations again or weddings or birthdays. And those parts of you, that happier part of you does show up again more, but the grief is still there. It is still somewhere in the car. And what I'm finding is that clients and people can get behind that. Yeah, I can get behind my grief shifts in time, but I'm not leaving my loved one behind in the grieving process. It just moves, right? So even the way they talk about it might be, my grief was really in the front seat this week. I I really need to talk about it. It was a lot heavier than it's been. And so it becomes a way for us to talk about that feels better for people. Right. I like that. Yeah. And it allows for movement up and down. Right. Right. It's more fluid that way. I mean, certainly people hear about the stages of grief and, and believe that, you know, I should go in order and they were never meant to go in order, but I think that's what people think, right. You know, depression, sadness, anger, bargaining, acceptance. And and I tell people they they don't go in order. You can feel things at the same time. And I think it's okay if you never get to acceptance. I don't really like that word to me. It feels like it means it was okay. I can come around to that. I will learn to live with this, but I don't know. I feel conflicted around acceptance. And again, I feel like it's because we don't have enough language. So we're trying to borrow a few words and it doesn't quite fit, at least not for me. And I think that's okay. I also wonder... um what kind of work you do with couples who have gone through a loss or siblings who have lost their third sibling, right? How that works with dynamics. And if you ever do family work around that. I don't work with couples. It's a specialty that I don't do, but I do work with teens and parents a lot. And I'm kind of, I I don't know. I think I explore with people, what are their spiritual beliefs? Where do they think that their loved one is now? I never put mine on anybody, but I explore with them. And even we talk about ways, how can you integrate your brother or sister in your life? Their birthday's coming up. 
what do you want to do to maybe honor them? I think one of the best ways social media can be used nowadays is people can post. And it really gives people a way to engage with someone in a way that they're not as comfortable with doing in person. So they can you know, do a heart or a like, or say, I, I miss and love your brother too. He was such a great guy or such a good friend. Or, and that really feels supportive and helpful to people. And so I feel like that's something that people can do. And we'll talk about, you know, I, I mentioned that, or we just explore what can you do to honor your loved ones? The holidays are coming up. What do you think about that? You know, in my family, we still had a stocking for my brother and we would write down either notes to him or favorite memories and we would read them, you know, and at dinner we would toast him. I mean, we just found little ways to, he's not physically here anymore, but it doesn't mean he's not a part of our family or are part of our family story. So we kind of talk about those types of things. And I also mentioned that seasons can be triggering or with grief and loss in general, if Mother's Day is coming up or Father's Day is coming up, I'll mention it. I know Mother's Day is coming up or I know the holidays are coming up. How are you feeling about that? What do you want to do about that? I put a voice to it. And I think that helps people, again, not feel alone in it. And we could just talk about the feelings that come up for them. Yeah. I love working with grief and loss. And so I'm, I'm just so intrigued by the specialty of working with siblings. And I'm so glad that there's there's a book out here. And I'm thinking of a few people I need to send this book to right now. Oh, um, yeah. Well, so another question I have is, I know you're located in Sacramento, but I, I'm sure you see people all over California because they're, this is a, it's a niche. It's a specialty of yours that not many clinicians share. Yeah, right. That's true. I think it's tough if you haven't gone through significant loss to totally get the gravity of it. And so I think I'll get a lot of referrals because people know that this is what I do and I've done for a long time. And so, and because there aren't a lot of words, it's it's more of a felt experience or place. And then I think I think of things that other people wouldn't think about that's helpful. When people get over the acute grief and over time, one of the things I talk about, I call it the gifts left behind in the book because I asked the people I interviewed too, did anything change in a positive way over time? And anyone who's lost someone in the first two years, they, they can't even go there exactly. But over time, for example, I'll mention that I feel like from going through this, that I don't take time or relationships for granted. I'm much more clear on what's a priority and I really spend time on those priorities. And I think to me, that's a gift because I think it's easy if you haven't gone through grief and loss is is to feel like we have lots of time, right? We'll, We'll get to it later. We'll spend time with them later. We'll do this later. And that isn't always the case. We don't actually know how much time. I mean, the truth is we all have a timeline. We just don't know what it is, right? And so I think when you've gone through this, you prioritize things differently. And so I say like people can live almost enlightened lives. Like they're much more in touch with what they want to do with their life. And I I think that's a gift. And so I explore that with clients too, or I'll point out to them, you seem much more clear about what you want to do. You seem much less anxious actually about this, you know, since losing a parent or a sibling and, and they'll say, I am, I am more clear about these things. And that actually feels good, you know, or to stop engaging with relationships that aren't healthy. It becomes really clear. I'm not, I can't take care of you and your stuff all the time or your unhealthy parts or, you know, if you can't show up for me, I, I'm done, right? Like it helps you re- reevaluate. I think jobs, relationships, I think that can be a good thing. I agree. One last question that I forgot to ask you is how do you feel about the importance of groups and the process of healing and 
great, like group therapy and grief and loss groups. I think they're great if people will go. I think sometimes it's hard to get people to groups. Unfortunately, in my area in Sacramento, I don't know of any that are just for siblings, but I think depending on how you lost somebody, I know that there's sometimes groups for, if you've lost someone to suicide, I know for parents that compassionate friends is a group. If you've lost a child, general grief and loss groups can be really helpful for people. I always recommend it to people. So they know this is available. Why don't you go a couple of times, see if this would be helpful nowadays on Facebook. I know there's a lot of groups for sibling loss. So if someone is more comfortable with that, or then maybe reach out to online groups. I also, this is different than groups, but I think participating in walks, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from clients that out of the darkness, which is for loss to suicide or breast cancer walks, it feels like you're doing something with your grief, you're channeling it, and that feels helpful. And so I'd mentioned that that's a good way of trying to help process your grief. And then you're with other people who are also going through this and they understand more. And I think that can be helpful. That's a good point. Well, we really appreciate you being on and talking to me about your book and the work that you do. I will make sure that we have information about your clinical practice on the episode description. Before we say goodbye, I always ask my my guests if there's any last words that they'd like to say. Well, actually, I want to mention a podcast because there's a podcast if people are into that, right? I like people to be able to, whether it's Audible, physical book, Kindle, I didn't start this podcast, although I was recently interviewed for it called the Surviving Siblings Podcast. So if anyone prefers that, I would say plug into that, right? Don't try to do this alone. It's too hard and you don't need to reach out to other people, work with a therapist or other people who've lost a sibling and get support that way, but don't try to do it alone. That's what I'd say. I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here. And for all the important work you do. I enjoy it. I think it's soulful and it's nice to see people get through the darkest times. It does get easier. And I guess I want to instill hope if people are listening to this, it it doesn't always feel as bad as it does in the beginning. And there there will be joy again. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having me. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.